Welcome to Park Community Church of Norwood Park. We exist to know God and make him known on the northwest side of Chicago. Join us at Tav High School every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We're glad you're listening in, and we hope that this message encourages you. Mark Forrest Glenn in Norwood Park. Pastor Dan here. Really grateful that you're able to join us today. Uh, if you got a Bible with you, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. In fact, if you don't have your Bible with you, just press pause, go grab it, open it up. We're going to read this together. All right. Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 28 through 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who went away were sent and went away, found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode in along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the, mount, on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, we do want to thank you for the time we have to open your word. I pray that you would use this time powerfully in our lives. We thank you for your kindness in meeting us, even in the midst of everything that's happening around us. God, we pray that we would learn uh, from Jesus today on what it means to enter into the storm. So we thank you, we trust you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting, if you're familiar with the church calendar at all, you know that there's a couple of big holidays that uh, Christians around the world celebrate. The big ones are obvious, Christmas and Easter, but there's also these uh, lesser well-known uh, holidays. The smaller ones, usually they're lesser well-known, uh, and you don't get any gifts or, or give gifts on these ones. Uh, but today is one of those smaller holidays, Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the day where Christians uh, remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a colt or on a donkey the week before his death. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the smaller ones, but it, it kicks off uh, what's called Holy Week. Holy Week is, you know, we remember all of the big events that happened on the last week of Jesus' life before his death and resurrection. We look to this on on Palm Sunday kind of kicks off this longer week of reflection. But uh, here's the thing. Yeah, I found myself asking this week, you know, I know it's Palm Sunday. I know a lot of people will be talking about this story uh, around the world, but you know, maybe there's something uh, a little bit more timely for what is going on today. You know, maybe I can find something that uh, just speaks a bit more directly to the things that we're thinking and feeling right now during the COVID-19 crisis and pandemic. 
And I opened my Bible, uh, and you know, I started reading through this story again. Just reading and reading, and it started to hit me that this actually may be the perfect passage for us to read this week, for us to study and give our time and attention to this week, the story of Jesus riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphal entry a lot of times. Uh, because when you think about the details of everything that's happening, uh, it's actually very similar to what we're going on, what we're experiencing right now. You think about it, in Chicago, where we are uh, certainly hit by uh, the coronavirus, but it's, it's not as bad as it could be. It's not, it's not, you know, ground zero in the U.S. or around the world. There's uh, other places that are hit harder than we are. But there are all of these rumors flying around that, uh, in, in, in a way, this, this may be like the calm before the storm. Right, what we've got going on now is uh, it could be a whole lot worse and it could be moving in that direction. There's projections, numbers that are hard to even wrap your minds around. Uh, and so some, some are saying this, this is the calm before the storm. And uh, I don't say that lightly because I know that some of you have actually been very deeply affected by this, right? I mean, having the, the, the kids at home, we'll just say it. There's challenges to figuring out how to do homeschool. There's uh, challenges to uh, being cooped up inside everybody together. There's, uh, there, there's a lot of anxiety about our jobs, what the, what the future holds for our, our health, our, our family members. All of this kind of stuff is, is swirling around. So I don't say that this is uh, like the calm before the storm lightly. Uh, and of course, I, I cannot predict the future. Right? I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but if it is, if this really is the calm, we're, we're need to be asking, what will the storm be like? And that's what it hit me, that this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem is like him riding into the storm. Because the worst days of his life are just, you know, moments ahead of him. And he knows it. Yet he rides on. He, he continues to go in. And his followers, I mean, they're filled with all of this uncertainty about what's going to happen. They, they follow him in here almost blindly, not, not knowing everything that's going to happen. And so I thought, you know, th this might be a very timely story for us, more than we might recognize, especially when we start looking at some of the, the elements, the things that pop in this story. If you know me, you know I like to look at odd details. Uh, sometimes I obsess a little too much about those odd details in uh, the, the biblical stories. Uh, but there were a few of them that kind of popped for me, uh, things that I hadn't really noticed or spent much time thinking about before that really helped frame this, uh, this uh, familiar story maybe in a different way. You may have noticed this, uh, that in the, the, for how long this story is, it's only 12 verses, Luke actually spends quite a bit of time telling us about uh, this, you know, the, the experience of the disciples getting a donkey for Jesus or a colt for Jesus. It, it's odd. Go back and look at it. It's like four verses. There's only 12. I mean, this is like 40% of the story. 
Luke records for us, Luke the author records for us, Jesus' instructions to the disciples. Look, you're going to go into the city, you're going to find a colt, he's going to be tied to a post. Uh, No one's ever sat on this colt before, and when you start taking it, its owners are going to ask you what you're doing, so this is what you tell them, uh, and they'll let you go. Right? And then Luke goes you know, on, instead of just saying, and that's what happened, uh, he goes on to, to tell us that the disciples, these two disciples, went into the city. They found the colt just like Jesus had described. They began to untie it. Somebody questioned them. They told them what Jesus told them to tell them, and uh, th- those guys let them on their way with, with the donkey. And it, it kind of seems, I mean, just really, that, that's, that's going to take up the bulk of this story? But when you think about it, Luke is actually giving us a very profound picture of Jesus, isn't he? He's a very profound picture of Jesus uh, when, when, when you think about this, because what it is showing us uh, is that at least with these details, Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows the future. And you may be saying, all right, come on. He basically called it that when two of his disciples, from the perspective of an owner, uh, steal his donkey, right? He, he calls that they're going to be questioned about it. And okay, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But, but, but everything else around that, look, look, I mean, he, he, he explains for them, look, you're going to go into the city, you're going to find a colt that nobody has ever ridden on. It's going to be tied up there. And, you know, the, the passage tells us that's exactly how it happened. And, and yeah, the, the, the obvious thing is that the owners of this colt would question, you know, what these two disciples who... The owner probably doesn't know who these guys are. He may or may not know who Jesus is, right? But Jesus also calls that the owners are going to let them go on and take the cold. I mean, you think about yourself. If somebody walked up to you uh, and said, hey, I need your car. Jesus wants your car. How many of you are going to give that dude your keys? I mean... Jesus actually calls what is about to happen and these very small details. And I think Luke is focusing in on this because he wants us to see that, that Jesus is actually one who knows the future. He's actually one who knows the future. And it's not just these small details. It's actually when you, when you zoom out a little bit and see the, the larger picture of, of God that the Bible shows us, it's not just that God knows these small things, these seemingly unimportant details, but uh, it's the idea that God is actually all-knowing, all-knowing. The word theologians use is omniscient. He knows all things. God knows all things. And it's very interesting when you, when you uh, start to kind of put these pieces together. I mean, Jesus is the one who knows exactly what is going to happen to him as he is entering into this storm. He knows exactly what is going to happen, and yet he still goes in because he is one who knows the future. Right? And again, this is the bigger picture of what the Bible tells us about God, that, that even before the foundations of the world, God, we're, we're told, knew us. He knew what we would be like. He knew what, what our uh, desires would be, what our temp, uh, temptations would be, our temperaments. Like, if you want to, you know, buy into the Enneagram, he knew you'd be an eight, right? Or, or a two, or, you know, two wing three, whatever that means. Or, the, you know, the Myers-Briggs stuff. He knew what you would be like before the foundations of the world. 
He knows these small, intricate details about us and about what's happening around us. But here's the thing, and here's why I think this gives us reason to hope. Because if God knows those seemingly insignificant details of life, like what people are going to say when Jesus tries to get a donkey, how much more? How much more does he know all of why we're experiencing right now what we're experiencing. And not only that, how much more does he know what is going to happen next? We look to the future. We look to tomorrow, and it is uncertain. And yet, Jesus has perfect clarity on what is going to happen next. See, in the triumphal entry, Jesus enters into his storm, knowing beforehand all of what is going to happen to him, his followers, down to the the most mundane details of the day. And yet that should actually be great hope for us. Because just like the disciples, we walk into the unknown. We're walking into the unknown right now. Right? Like, you, you don't know what will happen next. I don't know what will happen with my health, my, my job, your job, your school, your friends, your relationships. But here's one of the great joys of the, being a, a follower of Jesus. He said, even though you don't know what is going to happen next, you're with the one who does. This is why in the passage, uh, the, the disciples are rejoicing. They're looking back and seeing all, you're thinking about all of the things that uh, Jesus has done, is what it says. And they're rejoicing, not because they know the future, but because they're with the one who does. That was the first thing that kind of stuck out to me. The second thing that I found very interesting about this passage uh, is, is that Jesus walks into this storm with, I mean, it's a pretty bold confidence, right? It's a confidence that he walks into this with. You think about it for a minute. I mean, knowing all of what is going to happen to him from the moment he sets foot into Jerusalem, that this will, this will lead to his death. This will lead to some of the worst moments of his life. If that were you and me, we'd probably try and get into the city under the radar. Because I think I would. Not draw, uh, you know not really try and get anyone's attention while I'm doing this, but Jesus takes a very different posture, doesn't he? I mean, first of all, he goes out of his way to be noticed. And you see this in the intentionality with what he's doing, right? And even sending his disciples to go get a colt or a donkey for him to ride in on. Nowhere else in the Bible are we told, uh, you know, that Jesus rides into cities on, on a horse or something. And so, Uh, I think it's not like he's getting there and says, oh, Jerusalem's just a little bit too far today. I'm tired. Somebody get me a horse to ride in on. No, that's not what he's doing. I mean, he he is sending a very intentional and direct, specific image to anybody who would be watching this. I mean, it's picking up on language and imagery that the prophet Zechariah had talked about hundreds of years before Jesus' birth when he said that Israel's true and better king was going to ride into the city humbly, bringing righteousness. He was going to be humble, riding on a colt, on a donkey. And this is what Jesus is doing. And so when the religious leaders see this, when his followers see this, 
uh, when, when anybody else looks out the, the outside the city and sees him coming in on a donkey, they, they know the message that Jesus is trying to send. That's why his disciples are saying, uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, because they know Jesus is sending the message that he is the king. He is the one that Israel has been waiting for for millennia. That's who he is, and he is here now. I mean, he, he, he draws attention to himself in that. And you, you got to know that the, the Pharisee, the religious leaders, I mean, they're not, they don't miss what is happening to Jesus. I think this is part of the reason why, uh, you know, I think you got to see Jesus as walking into a storm is because there, there is this whole subset of uh, ideas and, and plots developed in Jerusalem uh, on how to kill Jesus. He has been the one that has been upending the authority, threatening the power structure that the religious leaders held over uh, the, this society. And yet, walking into Jerusalem, the epicenter of religious life in Israel, it's with this message that I am the king. The one that the Old Testament scripture has been pointing to, that, that's me. And this infuriates the religious leaders. Right? They even tell them in the passage, uh, Jesus, you need to rebuke your disciples for calling you a king. I love his response. <laughs> if they don't say it, the rocks are going to say it. Right? I mean, Jesus rides in with this confidence. And uh, yeah, his, his confidence stems from the fact that he knows the future. He knows what is going to happen next. But it's not just with his death. See, Jesus knows perfectly what is going to happen even beyond his death. And this is the real triumph over, of, of the triumphal entry. It's not that Jesus is you know, has finally triumphed over the religious leaders or, or the, the, the Roman government because he is the, the king that's true. But the true triumph that Jesus will have is over death itself. I mean, this is at the very heart of the, the entire Christian story. That humanity, all of humanity, has, has failed to live the way that God has called us to live. Right? It's what, what it means to, uh, to have sin. Right? We, we have fallen short of God's expectation. All of us have. And yet here comes Jesus, the true and better king, who walks right into the eye of the storm and says, not before the religious leaders, not before the Roman government, but before God himself, he says, I will stand in the, the place of those who have earned and deserved death for their failure to live the way, God, you created them to live. And he takes on uh, the storm, you see what I'm saying? In his death, he takes on the fullness of God's wrath. This is the larger story of, of, of the gospel, that he takes on the fullness of God's wrath in the place of people who have not uh, deserved or earned this action from Jesus. He does it out of love for us. He dies the death we should have died. And yet the triumph happens on the third day when Jesus rose again from the dead, showing that uh, the, the death that all of humanity had earned, that, that had been placed on him, could not hold him. 
right? He was going to be victorious over death itself. And so there is this confidence that Jesus has riding into Jerusalem, riding into the storm, knowing the future, knowing about his death, but knowing also about his triumph over death itself. And the great joy of being a Christian is, is, is not that we uh, will be able to know the future. It's not that we will be able to, uh, to, to conquer death, but we are with the one who has by faith in Jesus, we are united to him in his victory, his triumph over death itself. It means that if you are a Christian, you can stare down the barrel of death and fear no evil. Because you're with the one who has already rendered death dead. You see, I think there's so many pieces of this story that are very important for us in the time we find ourselves in right now. And as a Christian, you don't need to worry. And we say this a lot, you don't need to worry, you don't need to be anxious. But it's not because you know the future or that Jesus promises to tell you everything that's going to happen next so that you can plan accordingly. No. We don't need to worry because we are with the one who does know the future. We don't need to fear uncertainty. And not because we've figured out the, you know, the elixir of life. It's not because we have uh, figured out how to uh, mitigate uh, death. No, it's because as a follower of Christ, you, you are with the one who has been, who's triumphed over death. This is the great hope we have as followers of Christ going into uncertainty. We don't know the future, but we're with the one who has. We don't conquer death, uh, but we are with the one who has. Friends, all, all, all that to say, it kind of leads us to uh, maybe a, a final point for why I think this is such an important time. Our passage for the, for the season we're in right now is because, you know, Palm Sunday, it kicks off Holy Week. And the, the events of Jesus' life before his death and resurrection, and, and yet we find ourselves in the very same place the disciples did on the first Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Having the ability to rejoice, not because they know the future, but because they're with the one who does. Not because they will conquer death, but because they are with the one who will. And so us too, we, we can enter into the uncertainty of Holy Week and, and, and really any week to follow, knowing that we, we do not have to fear. We do not have to worry because we're with the one who knows the future. We're with the one who has conquered death itself. And I hope this would be an encouragement to you uh, this week, it, you know, at Park, we often do um, devotionals uh, together where we send out resources to maybe for your quiet time in the morning. This, this year, we, we've put together a Holy Week devotional, and it's a little different than any other one we've, we've done at Park that I can remember. Uh, we've had artwork and music and, uh, you know, poetry written for, uh, to accompany these devotionals that will walk you through Holy Week. And the point of all of these, not, not to impress you, these were all done by other park people, 
The point is to encourage you that in the midst of uncertainty, as a Christian, you may not know the future, but you're with the one who does. You, may, you will not conquer death, but you're with the one who has. Get this devotional. You can, you can click on the link in the, the video right beneath this in the description here, or you can head over to our website and sign up to have this sent to you every week. This would be a great encouragement to you as you walk into the uncertainty of this week. Friends, the great hope we have as Christians is that we can stare down uh, the barrel of death not knowing what will happen in the future, but with a certainty that we're with the one who does and without a fear of death because we're with the one who has triumphed over it. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to thank you now for your kindness. Help us to continue understanding your word Help us to continue putting this into practice this week. Speak to us. Long after we stop this video, long after we uh, walk away from this time, continue to speak to us. Give us a, a assurance in the face of uncertainty that we would certainly know that you are the one who knows the future, you are the one who holds the future, and you are the one who has triumphed over death and that we would say along with the Apostle Paul that death is swallowed up in victory O oh, death where is your sting in Jesus name Amen Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We'd love to see you join us in person. You can find more information at parkcommunity.church slash Norwood Park